You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. But we're finishing the book today with um, James chapter 5, verse 13 through 20. And I think you can pull this up also on the U version. There's notes um, on the U version of um, Thrive. You can follow sermon notes on that for Thrive Community Church as well. And I'll have all of the quotes and stuff I'm using in the sermon today. Let's read the text and then pray. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins." It's how the book ends, and it's great stuff. It's not rocket science. It's not quantum mechanics. It's very practical, down-to-earth, things that you probably already know. And in that sense, I think we really need to pray because the things that I know and don't do are the hardest things in my life. I know what I should be doing, but I just don't get around to it. And I think the issue is what we're talking about here, the framework of grace. If I have the right framework, then the things that I know start fitting in and I might start accomplishing. So let's pray. Lord God, we keep praying for the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord God, you would send your spirit now to move us, that by your grace, you change everything. And that these words of James, very practical and personal and uh, down to earth, would become a reality for us as a community here at Thrive as well as individually. Bless, Lord, all the churches in our area. We thank you for so many of them, from Summit to Gulf Coast Presbyterian to Hope to Zion. Lord, we thank you for so many churches that are unnamed, that, uh, but we bring them before you, our campus ministries that we partner with, Lord, uh, sharing the gospel on the campus of FGCU. We thank you for them as well. Bless this day that your spirit has his way with each of us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Very practical. We've only got three points. I'm going to try to keep it short today. This could have been like four different sermons. (laughs) And you know how long I preach already, okay? So the three points are this. James calls us or invites us to be a praying community, a healing community, and a restoring community, okay? All three. And now, if you just listen to the text and what I just said, you go, oh gosh, now, okay, here it comes. He's going to tell me I should be praying more and I don't, that I should be praying for others and I don't, and I should be really like opening myself up with all my yuck to others and I don't want to. And that's the framework of guilt and the framework of obligation. And if that's our framework, it will not motivate me to do much of anything, right? But as we said, it's not what we see, the reality of these things, but it's through what we see. 
And through the framework of grace, that's why we have all these frames up here, last week for that, I guess. Um, But through the framework of grace, we see that this is not an obligation, but an invitation, a privilege. Because what we're really talking about today is the fact that we have the amazing privilege of communing with the living God. And that's what James invites us into today. Grace changes everything. Grace becomes the fuel, the motivator, the reason why we can do any of these things. And whether we do them well, it doesn't really matter. It's not about how well we do this. It's so amazing to me how many times in the 29 years as a pastor that I come to a situation where somebody feels a need for prayer or to a meal or anything, and they always turn to the pastor as if we've, it's like, my prayers don't get through any more than yours. Um, I might practice it more, but it's just like anybody who practices something. You just do it long enough, you can do it. It's not the depth of words. You don't have to have theological language in it. You just, it's just pouring yourself out to God, opening up to him, and praying for his will to be done. And if you don't know how to pray, it's okay. Read a prayer. The Psalms, we'll get into that later. I mean, almost all the Psalms are prayers or the Lord's Prayer. Um, And just, I mean, it's so easy in one sense to do, but it's so hard for us to do it. So it's not like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be better at it than you are. That's not the question. And it's not like, oh, I'm so bad at it, so I don't. No, it's just the fact that God calls us, James is calling us, inviting us to be a praying community, a healing community, a restoring community. That's who we are. And that's the reality of what we want to be like. Now, um, here's another part of that framework that I'm talking about. It's interesting. I think we went through the book of Colossians, and I've preached on this before. And in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, Paul puts it this way about just kind of like this is his framework. And he says, and when Christ, who is your life, and it kind of goes on from there. But that phrase, when Christ is your life. It's not like Christ is a part of your life, Christ is this section, or Christ is over this, but he is over everything, he's in everything, he is through everything, he's before everything, he's behind everything. The book of Colossians puts him preeminent in all things. And so when I understand holistically that there is not one aspect of my life that isn't under the reign, under the realm, under the redemption, under the forgiveness, under the love, under the grace of God, then all of a sudden... I get to commune with God all day. I'm with him all the time. And I'm conscious of it at times. I'm unconscious of it at times. It's the air I breathe. It's the life I live. And so with that, then we come to see how grace changes everything. This is all about how we can practice and learn and grow baby steps at a time to be a praying community, a healing community, and a restoring community. First, James invites us, point A, I guess, we're doing it this way, and there's a reason you'll see later. Didn't want to mess up all the numbers. He invites us to be a praying community. And he doesn't start out in this and go like, okay, and now here's the formula. Did you notice that? He doesn't give you a formula. He doesn't give you just facts. He just invites us to be a praying community. If you're in trouble, if you're suffering, if you're singing, you know, things are going well, whatever, Pray, praise God, give thanks, bring people together for healing, whatever. He's just encouraging, encouraging, encouraging. So he doesn't say, so if you pray five times fervently for something, you've got a 76.8% chance that it's going to be answered. 
the way you want it. You know, I kind of want that kind of plan. I would like to know exactly what to do and if I just do it. But we're talking about relationship and not a formula. Can you imagine in a relationship with your spouse or your children, if you come up with a formula, okay, I said I love you five times today, so that should mean that I should be able to get this from. Guess what? You're not. <laughs> you're not going to get it. When you start to kind of create a formula, a tit for tat, you're also not in the framework of grace again. Okay? It's just not about grace anymore. It's about, okay, I do this, God does that. I do this, God does that. There's a lot of theology out there or teaching out there in some of the Christian church that is kind of a tit-for-tat, if I do this, then I'll get this, and I'll be blessed, and da-da-da-da-da talk, that is just not about the relationship we have with Jesus Christ at all. It's not the way to go. It's much more a relationship of a good, good father, like we sang about, with his children, Right? And I want to have the, quote, advanced Christianity of understanding the secret things of God. And James says, you're just like children. Pray, praise, give thanks, gather together, pray for healing. Boom, you know. There is no advanced Christianity. The most advanced Christianity you have is being a child on the lap of your dad asking. And when he gives or doesn't give according to what you want, knowing and trusting implicitly that he is a good, good father no matter what. That's as advanced as it gets. Advanced as it gets. You know, when my kids were young, they just ask, right? Sometimes incessantly. But they'd ask. They didn't ask for the moon. They'd ask for things that I could probably do and that I kind of wanted to do. Sometimes I said yes. Sometimes I said, no, not yet. You can't have your ice cream before. No ice cream for breakfast. But sometimes I said, no, it's just not going to happen. That's not good for you. And even to the why, I might even say, because I told you so, right? And yet they still trusted that I was good because they had a relationship with me, and they had seen again and again how I tried to be good to them. I'm not a perfect, I'm not even close. And that's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. If you as fathers know how to give good gifts to your kids and you're not that good, <laughs> how much more will your heavenly father give you what you need, right? And that's the good, good father. Our heavenly father gives you what we he, he, he gives you what you need time and again. And how do I know he's good? How do I know he's good, especially if I'm sick or suffering or things aren't going well? And it's the framework of grace that we see Jesus, who prayed fervently throughout his life, who gave and served and finally ultimately brings about the ultimate good. He's bringing about the ultimate healing, the ultimate restoration of the entire cosmos through what he did. And yet it came through the greatest tragedy, the greatest evil, the greatest difficulties in his life. And yet he commended himself to his father because he's a good, good father, even upon the cross, where he commends his life to him. And because we know all things work together for good 
because he did not even spare his son, but gave him up for us all, as Romans 8 says. So even in the midst of struggles, I know God is good. And this was a very personal note this summer, and i um, not going to s- try to spend too much time on it, but many of you know I was planning on, and I thought everything was lining up to be able to give, uh, donate a kidney to Will Murphy, a worship leader, youth pastor in Bonita Springs, 31 years old, three very young children, wonderful wife. I'm an exceptional match. Everything was going along. I went up to Tampa General for the testing, and in the midst of it all, finding out that my kidneys are two different sizes, and there was some question about whether the small one would work for him, and they can't take the big one from me. And so then I'm going through an extra test, and I'm laying on that table and going like, wait a minute, God. This is the way it was supposed to work this summer. I had the time off before, you know, the fall was coming. He needs it desperately. It's better to do it now than later. You'll get all the glory. He's praising God. We're praising God. The churches are, you know, this could really, you know, and I could come up with all the plans and formulas all I want, and God basically said, no, it's not going to happen. And when I had to tell Will I was not a candidate, he handled it better than I did. I wanted to know why, and he didn't need to have a reason why. He just implicitly trusted God through it all and knew God was going to work it out one way or the other, and he was going to get the glory. And um, we still don't know. And, and, and it was amazing when Will sat down with me to comfort me in this, and he goes, John, we may never know why. We don't need to. We've still got a good, good father. And um, God is going to work out things, and I believe he is. And in the coming months, we hope to see some amazing things happen that are going to be even better than the way I had planned it, right? God knows. So we're going to go through some simple guidelines for prayer now, how prayer is effective and how we can be a praying community. And these are guidelines, an invitation for that. There are eight of them. And I've taken some of these from Matt Chandler of the Village Church in Texas, from D.A. Carson, from a man named Adolph Coberly, who I read a book years ago. He's long gone, um, called The Quest for Holiness. And um, from ancients as well as people who are current. But these eight points, the first one is simply this, plan to pray. Now, I know you might be saying, wait a minute, I thought prayer should be kind of spontaneous. Um, It can be, but plan to pray. Uh, Klaus Harm says it this way, whoever does not pray at determined times does not pray at undetermined ones. The problem is, if I don't plan to pray, I plan not to pray often. I'm not trying to get you into rituals that just kind of burden you, but the folk, the reality is when I've got a busy schedule, when I'm, I have to plan time with my kids, I have to plan time with, uh, to get work done, I plan all sorts of other things. Plan to pray. Plan to pray so you have time to do it and get into the practice of it, okay? Um, second, focus in prayer. It's going to be hard to have a screen in front of you and focus in prayer. Your phone, TV, laptop, anything. I need to get away from all the distractions I can. And in fact, even when things are quiet, my mind is racing. I don't know about yours. I, for at least prayer, I have ADHD. 
maybe for everything. Well, this is very um, common no matter what, not just in a technical age. Martin Luther had a, um, a barber who, you know, he's just a common everyday barber, and he was trying to figure out how to pray. He didn't know how to pray, and so Martin gives him kind of a very uh, simple, um, practical guideline to it, and he says this, um, just as a good skillful barber must keep his thoughts, mind, and eyes fixed exactly on the scissors and hair and not forget where he is in the strokes and cuts, for if he wants to talk continuously and think of other things, you've had people cut your hair like that, and look elsewhere, he could soon cut off the lips and nose and even slit the throat. So anything that is to be done well requires the whole attention of man with all his faculties and members. How much more must prayer possess the heart? exclusively and completely if it is to be a good prayer. So it's focusing in prayer. Third, seek people with whom to pray. I think I do better at praying when I've got somebody else with me praying. And maybe both of us don't know what we're doing, but that's okay. When we start home huddles in just over a week and we want you to be in your home huddles, it's okay to ask. It's totally okay to ask. I don't know how to pray in groups. Um, does anybody know how to pray? And you might see three or four hands go up. It's like, I'm uncomfortable with it. Well, practice together. It's okay. It's like anything else. It takes time. It takes time to learn how to do it. So um, that's how you grow. It's just by starting out somewhere. Don't be embarrassed by it. And the fourth is much like the third. Learn from people who do pray. They're not better than you. They're not like the spiritual varsity and you are the JVs. It's the fact that they've probably just had more experience at practicing it, just like anything else. And I can learn from so many others, and I do learn from others who pray. They help me with my prayers. I learn from them. Fifth, and this is where I'm going to lose some of you, develop a system (laughs) for prayer lists. I know. Whether it's a journal, it's just a to-do list of the people to pray for. I tend to do that. I have a to-do list of the things that are going on, boom, 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 and pray through that. Um, But whatever way, and I know for type A's, hey, yeah, I love that list, 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 to-do. Type B's, I just lost you. But it's just like anything else. If you don't put it down and say, boom, boom, I'm praying for you, my mind is just everywhere else, and I forget, and I don't get around to it. We're very, uh, okay? So develop a system for prayer lists. Um, Number six, base your prayer on Scripture. This is not like sixth. These are not in priority. Um, But if you don't know, like I said, how to pray, open the Scriptures up to the book of Psalms, my favorite, and just start reading them. They're prayers. So when you're reading them, you're praying at the same time many times. And you'll find there are a variety of them. I mean, some of them are just haunting, and others are just uplifting, and others are just agonizing, but they're prayers of all different types. Adolf Kolberly said this, Prayer escapes the danger of disorder and confusion only when it is enkindled by the words of Scripture. From the word proceeds its inner justification as well as its life-giving power and the clearness of its petition. Any good prayer is really based on Scripture. It's not just my feelings. 
Timothy Keller, um, a current pastor, put it this way. He goes, we would never produce a full range of biblical prayer if we're just initiating prayer according to our own inner needs and psychology. It can only be produced if we are responding in prayer according to who God is revealed in the scripture. Some prayers in the Bible are like an intimate conversation, others an appeal to a great monarch, and others approximate a wrestling match. Yeah. We must not decide how to pray based on which types of prayers are most effective for producing experiences and feelings we want. We pray in response to God himself. Yep, okay. (laughs) All right, seventh, practice prayer. Hey, practice piano. You practice any athletics. Don't expect to do it well the first time, you know? Don't expect to do it well the second time. Don't feel, it's not about doing it well. It's just about practicing, practicing. You practice in order to get to where you wouldn't be if you didn't, okay? It's a lifelong art. It's a relationship. It's not a exact science. And finally, Pray until you pray, number eight. I know that sounds kind of odd, but there are times where it just, I have to quiet myself down like Psalm 131 and just let everything stop for a while before I'm actually ready to even pray and be praying according to Scripture or God's will. So um, I keep praying, and the prayer that we keep praying is, Holy Spirit, fill me. I need you, Holy Spirit. If I don't have the Holy Spirit, my prayers are nothing. If I don't have the Holy Spirit, I don't got anything going on. So pray until you actually pray, okay? I know a lot of guidelines, but I think that's what it means to be a praying community, and that's what we're at. Today, we're going to have a couple people during communion here to pray with you, to pray for you to encourage you to pray on the sides. You can come up there at any time and just ask for anything. If you can't figure out the words, to let somebody else do it for you. That's fine. So a praying community. James invites us to be a healing community, and that's what we're really praying for one another. And I think he says that the prayers of healing are effective, and they're effective for two reasons, okay? They're, first of all, effective for rooting out our egotism, You know, when I'm praying for someone else, um, it really changes things. Adolf Koberly said, and I don't have this quote up there, intercession is the strongest weapon of the Holy Spirit against egotism, and I agree. When I'm praying for somebody else and not just focused on what I want, Lord, I just need, I just need, I just need, but others, man, I get outside of myself, it is really getting me to be a little more like Jesus, like I should be. But the second reason the main reason James is saying pray for one another is that it is effective. It actually, miracles do happen. And I bet there are half of us here this morning that I could ask to come up and give a personal testimony for a prayer they made and they pleaded with God and he answered it miraculously. It might not be spectacular so everybody else goes, wow, that was really cool, but miraculously. We're all probably walking miracles and people around us. And even sometimes the effective prayers are effective because we didn't get what we want. And years later, we thank God for those unanswered prayers. I think that's a country song. 
But the answer is that I'm glad I didn't get what I wanted. And I'm hoping that's what's happening with why I didn't get to give the kidney to Will. That I'm going to look back and go like, wow, God did something even better. Now, I might not. But miracles do happen. So James is saying he wants us to be that kind of an interceding, praying for one another, healing community. This is the place that you're going to find healing. And finally, he invites us to be a restoring community. You know, I can fool myself, but the reality is I, I can wander away. I can get lost. We talked last week, um, Solomon, you know, so wise, that's what he asked for. By the end, not so wise. He lost it all. He had nobody to speak into his life. I need others to speak into my life. James uses the um, person of Elijah as the great example. And we're going to skip, I think, some of the, the, the quote. We find Elijah in 1 Kings 17 for the first time. He's no superhuman. He says he's just got a nature just like ours. But in 1 Kings uh, 17.1, uh, I guess instead of 1.1, 1, 1, 1 Kings 17.1, we find out that um, he's prayed that it wouldn't rain, and for three and a half years it didn't. He goes through miracle after miracle. He gets fed by ravens. He gets fed by a widow who doesn't have any flour or oil, but for a long time he raises the widow's son. He goes and fights um, the, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and defeats them in a cod for God kind of um, muscle match, you know, and boom, the lightning strikes and all of this stuff. He runs out into the wilderness away from King Ahab and Jezebel. And believe it or not, he despairs. He doesn't even want to live anymore. Elijah needs to be restored. And God speaks to him and says, there's 6,000 others for you in Israel yet. You're not alone. And secondly, I'm going to bring you a friend, a mentor, Elisha. He's going to take on your mantle. And if Elijah needs to be restored, I need it. I need others. Home huddles, why we're doing them, is not because it's just fun or it's a technique. It's because it's the reality. We want to be a restoring and healing community. And it ain't happening in groups of 50 or 100. It's going to happen in individual relationships and in home huddles where we raise each other up, encourage each other, etc. That's We need community. So James, the framework. It's an invitation to commune with the living God, to commune with each other, to be a community that is all about prayer, healing, and restoration. Because in the end, we are a grace community. Let's pray. Lord God, there are people here today that can use your healing touch, that don't know how to pray. We ask for your Holy Spirit to just move in us with words too deep, uh, uh, you know, groans too deep for words to pray for the your will to be done in our lives. Help us, Lord, too. We, we need your restoration. We want to be that kind of community. In the weeks ahead, Lord, make it happen. 
Help us, Lord, to take the steps one at a time to pray, to be a people of prayer, of healing and restoration, where we can open up to each other, where we can be transparent with you and know that you are a good, good father, that you absolutely loved us and love us still, and that we belong to you. All this we pray, Lord Jesus, in your most precious name, because through your death and resurrection, you have proved for all time and eternity that you are good. In Jesus, your name, amen.